All right, so it is 2.45, so we're gonna go ahead and get started. My name is Ashley Skinner, and we're gonna be talking about integrating cover crops into high tunnel production systems. So please raise your hand if you have a farm that has a high tunnel on it. No? Okay, all right, we got three. And uh, raise your hand if you have put, um, grown any cover crops in your high tunnel as of yet. Okay, great, all right, so we have some people who are already a little bit familiar. So just an outline on what we're gonna cover. Oh, and before we go there, also here is my contact information. If you have questions and we don't get to cover them in the class, you're able to text me or you're able to email me at this email. So, and that's reads frolicandflora at gmail.com. And then here is my phone number as well. So yeah, so I did research at K-State. Um, K that's where I did my master's. And my studies were on cover cropping in high tunnels. All right. So in outline, we're gonna be covering a few things. We're gonna talk about the general overview of practices that are used in high tunnels for um, soil health management. And then we're gonna talk about the benefits of cover crops and how to practically plan for your cover crops inside your high tunnel rotations. All right, so food production in high tunnels. Um, high tunnels, as you can see here, are semi-permanent structures. Um, when I started this research, it was really funny getting to talk to my family like, oh, I'm talking about, I've been studying about uh, cover cropping in high tunnels, and it's just, huh, huh? You know, they don't know what a cover crop is, they don't know what a high tunnel is, so it really makes them for an interesting conversation. But as you can see here, this is a high tunnel. We have one right outside, too, that um, was quickly built, which was really cool. Um, but the farmers generally depend on high tunnels because of the microclimate that it creates inside of the high tunnel. It allows you, in some locations, to do year-round growth. Um, and then it also helps because for example, like say living in Florida where we can have a lot of climatic weather and your crops can be wiped out by hurricane and all these things, having a high tunnel that's um, installed properly, you can help mitigate some of those things. However, in high tunnel food production, um, the high tunnel is generally used intensively. So the soil that is under the, um, under the cover is usually used to the point where it can become um, lifeless. So what um, researchers are looking to do is how to figure out how to build up the soil, especially if we're using it in this type of structure where the soil, it, um, this is a pretty much of a permanent structure. Now, with new technology, there now, are, um, there now are movable tunnels. We actually installed a couple movable tunnels on our research farm, and pretty much they have the tunnels on rails, so you can cultivate two different areas of land um, at different times. So while one side would be fallow, the next side will be growing, and then you can switch back and forth, which was helpful in making sure that the soil was not quickly degraded. So some of the production practices that are um, used today include high fertilizer input, um, which can cause an imbalance with your um, macronutrients. And then some of the biggest things that happen are your changes in your uh, carbon and organic matter. So the changes that are seen within the high tunnel typically and also in the outdoor is your top six inches of your soil um, because that's the tillage layer, that's where you're tilling, that's where you're extracting plants, that's where you're putting in all these fertilizer inputs. So it's very sensitive to changes. And especially in a protected cropping system, you can have those things be exacerbated because you're not able to get 
um, rainfall, of course, inside the tunnel. So a lot of the, you can have salt buildup inside your tunnel. So healthy soil is what we're all striving for. We want to have a healthy soil. And there are many interpretations of what a healthy soil is and what that looks like. Um, some of the main things that we want in a healthy soil is one that is of structural quality, has good water holding capacity, and allows for proper drainage and aeration. Um, we want one that contains all the nutrients and organic matter, and then also one that can support below ground organisms. And one of the reasons too that I wanted to share that um, with farmers and high tunnel usage and why we find it so important that quite a few universities are trying to figure out how to better manage the soil in the high tunnels is because a farmer who typically buys a high tunnel sometimes that can be one of their biggest um, um, my most pricey pieces of real estate on their farm you know especially like the tunnel that I was managing was a 200 foot tunnel and there's all these maintenance costs replacing the poly all of those things so you know you want to make a return on your investment and um, some of the troubles that we typically have when talking to farmers is you have to convince them that growing a cover crop inside their tunnel is worth the opportunity cost of actually growing another crop so we'll talk a little bit more about that all right, so you want good soil quality. So as you see here, this is just supposed to be showing very um, elementary wise, like what poor soils would look like. So with your poor soils, you're not gonna have as much water availability throughout the year. But what you wanna do is you wanna have a good soil where you can have water availability throughout the whole year. And some of the ways that you could do that, say for example, if you're on the open field, is by mulching and um, using different methods such as that, but cover cropping is also a method that can be used. So we see here we have the carbon cycle and one of the benefits of a cover crop as well is that you're able to um, extract some of the carbon that's out in the air through growing a plant species and then you also have um, cover, um, you have carbon that's added back into the soil through the decomposition process. And that's very similar too in the nitrogen cycle that you have um, nitrogen that is being cycled throughout the system and being made available or being immobilized within your soils. So as I um, spoke earlier, you also want to have a, a diverse, healthy soil community. What we found in our research studies um, for, I had two projects. I was looking at cover cropping in high tunnels and I was also looking at the soil biome within the high tunnels. And I'm not gonna get to share very much about that today, but we found that it lacked a lot of complexity. When you compare the um, high tunnel soils to your open field soils, the amount of complexity is, is just mind boggling to see that you have really a small amount of species that are there present in your high tunnel soils especially just because you've been using it intensively. So in our high tunnel soils, we pretty much found mites, 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 mites galore, maybe a few nematodes, but not nearly enough to really be able to help in that nitrogen cycling. So as we know, it's important to have a diverse soil community because then it'll help with um, the plant being able to fight off diseases and pest pressure and all those things. So soil improvement is important. That's one of the biggest things when it comes to soil um, management. We want to add organic matter. We want to loosen the tight clay that is in the soil. Um, we want to increase the water holding capacity. And we also want to help with the ion exchange capacity, which is important when it comes to mitigating or um, 
managing your pH of your soils. You know, we found that in our high tunnel soils, I don't know if anyone else who has high tunnels, you understand that sometimes you can find you go in your high tunnels and you have like this hard pan <laughs> for your soil, especially if you had a lot of traffic in and out of your soil and it's hard to grow in that type of environment. So you have to um, keep that in mind that every little thing that you do in your soil, um, in your tunnel, it can affect your plant growth later on in the future. So some of the practices that are typically used in a high tunnel open field system is to um, use compost or to use degradable mulches and cover crop residues to add organic matter to the soil. So compost has some of its benefits. So um, there are many benefits when it comes to compost. Um, a lot of times compost is a thing that people just do in their backyard. They'll just say, oh, this is compost, even though there is like a scientific process when it comes to compost. And um, in one of the lectures earlier this week, they were able to share about that. Um, composting is not just all of your food scraps and you put it together and say, oh, this is compost. <laughs> no, you kind of want a certain blend of your greens and your browns. And if you're adding manure to your um, compost, you want also a certain amount of that. You don't want to go overboard. Um, so there's many benefits and you can find compost pretty much anywhere. Um, but there are, oh, so as you see here, they are just laying out compost out on the field before they're going to plant. Um, but with your compost, you can also have some cons when it comes to your compost. For example, some of these, um, sometimes your compost can hold weed seeds. Um, so you want to be careful and you want to make sure that your compost goes through the right cycle that it needs to go to to be ready for um, putting in your um, garden. All right, so calculating fertilizer needs. So I'm not, I'm not sure if anyone here uses like their own um, fertilizer calculation, but pretty much when it comes to doing vegetable production, you typically need a, between 100 and 150 pounds of nitrogen per acre. And um, you can take that quantity and you can reduce that to for your field size. I actually have a calculator that um, I could send to you guys if you Give me your email and your name, and if you express your interest, I can send you an um, in an email an Excel calculator where you can calculate that based off of your farm square um, inches, and it'll let you know like how much cover crop you should grow, all of those type of things. All right, so as you're seeing here, this is how you um, typically calculate your fertilizer needs. Um, pretty much you have the um, square acreage, and you're not going to get so say if you have your square acreage and you want 100 pounds per acre so that you need 50 pounds. And when you um, actually utilize your compost, you have to realize that out of the 100% of this compost that you have, only 3% of it might be nitrogen. So when it comes down to it, the available, at least the 3% of it is available nitrogen because you can have a large amount of nitrogen and it not be in an available form for your plant. So this would help, stuff, doing the calculations will help you know how much compost, how much cover crops, um, how much amendments you need for your um, crops. So um, as I stated earlier, compost has a few cons. Um, also, you can have excessive plant nutrients, which can cause your um, soil to be burned. And you can see that in the um, physiology of some of your plants. You'll start seeing some burning there where it's just that it was just too high of phosphorus, too high of potassium. 
And then also you have um, sometimes you can get compost from probably not some credible people and it can have um, some things in there that are not best for your farm, like say some heavy metals and things of that nature. So you just wanna be careful, especially where you're getting your compost, if you are gonna use compost. I would suggest make your own compost. All right, and then some other concerns when it comes to compost would be um, your food safety concerns. So you wanna make sure that if you are going to um, try to be selling your food for market that it's of highest quality and it's safe for consumers. So some of the rules that we have when it comes to um, manure and compost is that you want your manure to be laid at least, well, no, no less than 120 days before you harvest. And then for compost, no less than 90 days before you harvest so that all of the microbes can break these things down and make sure that it's not unhealthy for the um, consumer if it, yeah. So then mulches. So you have a variety of different mulches. Um, mulching is a valuable practice. And for cover, for some people who grow cover crops, they grow it simply just to become a mulch. Um, however, some you do have the opportunity to till it in and incorporate it into the soil, um, whichever way you would like to use it. But it helps with conserving the soil moisture and controlling weed pressure. Sorry, it's like my slides keep on going faster than me. All right, so then you have <laughs> organic mulches, of course, which could be made out of a variety of things, leaves, straws. I've seen people use like newspaper clippings, uh, all these different things for mulches. And then you can also have um, some synthetic mulches, which are made out of plastics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I don't have anything to say negatively about using newspaper because it breaks down quickly. It's not, I would say it's not the best uh, mulch that you could choose because the, it's gonna break down very quickly. You actually, if you really want something for the purpose of suppressing weeds, using like wood chips or something of that nature that breaks down slowly will be more beneficial. Mm. It's fine, that makes sense, yeah. I've heard of, um, actually, a farmer who laid down his cardboard, you know, yeah. layer and then on top of that. Yes. No, no, that's actually a really good practice because you're having even better opportunity for weed suppression if you do it in that way. Um, I know with us, whenever we would um, do mulching, we typically, since we're using like 200 foot long high tunnels, we're using garden fabric. And what we would do is we would burn holes in the fabric and we would transplant the plants right into the hole so that you know we're not having to move around a lot of mulch and stuff like that. So, All right, so as you see here, this is just like a heavily um, mulched area. And I think this is some sweet potatoes that are growing. And then here, this is an example of the plastic mulching that you could use and for beds. Um, you could do it like this in a tunnel and on the open field. We actually had this set up in the tunnels for our pepper plants that we were growing and tomato plants as well. And then this is just another picture of seeing how the mulching, the plastic mulching. And this is how it actually looks inside of a tunnel whenever we would do our um, summer crops. Um, we would, as I showed you, we would use the um, mulch um, the, the, what is it, fabric, garden fabric, and we would just burn holes in it and then transplant them right in there. And what we would do is, since we believe in cover crops, we would put, we would do cover cropping, cut down the cover crops, and um, we would water it to help with um, 
promoting um, decomposition so they can add those nutrients to the soil. And then we would cover it with garden fabric. So we weren't out there spending any time weeding. You know, we were able to quick just go out there to harvest and to prune and do those types of things. So cover crops. Um, so cover crops are known as green manures. They are extremely important for soil health. Um, we've talked about how they're helpful with or adding organic matter to the soil. Um, they can also recover nitrogen. So a lot of times after you are growing, after you finished growing a cash crop, sometimes you still have some usable nitrogen still left in your soil. And being able to grow a cover crop allows the cover crop to capture that nitrogen. And then once you terminate the cover crop, which means to cut down the cover crop, to add it back to the soil, that nitrogen can be added back to the soil. So it's reducing the amount of nitrogen that's in your soil that gets um, immobilized because nitrogen that's immobilized simply means that the plant can't, can no longer reach it to use it for you to be able to consume it as a vegetable or fruit or anything of that nature. So, and for uh, cover crops, you can use it in no-till and strip tillage um, systems. So as you can see here, this is just showing you how you can get lots and lots of organic matter from your um, cover crops. For those who've grown cover crops, if you've grown anything like Sudan, um, sorghum Sudan grass, that thing could get high, 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 high in the sky. So, you know, you get lots and lots of organic matter from it. All right, so, and you're able to grow your own mulch. So cover crop residues can be used as um, mulch. And when they're used as mulch, they give you both um, soil carbon and nitrogen as well. So, and we talked about nitrogen. All right, so pretty much with my research, we were investigating cover crops and high tunnels. And we did two different seasons. We did winter cover crops and we did summer cover crops. So this is some of the data from my research study where we were using winter cover crops. Now we had variable, um, variable results between the two years and they were st um, statistically significant. So we had to actually um, evaluate them separately. So as you see here, there's 2018 and 2019 information put separately, but in the same table. So we had eight diff we had seven cover crops, but eight treatments. So we had a control treatment where that means we weren't growing any cover crop in that plot. And then we had triticale, which is, as you know, it's a hybrid of rye and wheat. And then we had hairy vetch and we had wheat and we had rye. And then we had three treatments where they were a mixture of using a legume and a grass. So we would use triticale and vetch wheat and vetch, rye and vetch. So right here is just showing you what our winter cover crop biomass was. As you can see here, we, did, we had higher biomass yields in 2018 than 2019. And there's a story for that. The reason why we had higher yields in 2018 is because they were not eaten by deer. In 2019, we had a night where deer came and ate the whole thing, <laughs> nearly the whole thing. And so the, it was really hard for us to actually get the crop to grow back by time for us to terminate the study. So um, in 2018, we had high yields, which were more typical to what you would see um, if you're in the outdoor fields. And what we saw is that we had very high yields for um, rye and vetch and also for our rye and pretty much all of ours except for hairy vetch. Hairy vetch seem not to do well in high tunnel systems um, and we're not sure if it's just because of high tunnel systems or where we were growing. Um, we have had some issues with growing our hairy vetch out in the open fields as well in Kansas. So 
We're not really sure exactly why, but we had a lot of issues with that crop. So here's our summer cover crop biomass. So it followed the same protocols, but now this was in the summer season where we planted the cover crops in June and we terminated them in, um, we terminated them in September for 2018 and we terminated them in August in 2019. Now the crops that we had, we had the bear control, which was no cover crops. And then we had buckwheat, buckwheat and cowpea, which was our mixture of having buckwheat with a legumous species. A benefit of having the legume species is they fix nitrogen so you can have a higher nitrogen content that's added to the soil. We had um, cowpea by itself. We had Japanese millet and then we grew millet with cowpea. We had sorghum Sudan grass and then we had sorghum Sudan grass grown with cowpea. So as you can see here, we had a higher biomass in 2018, and we believe that was simply because we grew it for longer. We terminated in 2018, um, in September, whereas in 2019, we didn't terminate, we terminated it earlier in August. And we had a reason why we did that, and I'll, I'll um, walk you through that in the next slide. But I just wanna make sure that you guys are able to understand and interpret this. So as you see here, it's giving you how much pounds per acre we got from each crop. And then here, the lettering is just supposed to show you the statistical significance. So if you don't care about that, you could just you know, exit that out of your mind. And then this is also showing you the heights. So how tall your cover crop um, grew. And you know, you definitely need to be mindful with how tall your high tunnel is with which cover crop you wanna grow. You probably don't wanna grow sorghum sudan grass if you have a very small, short high tunnel, or at least you wanna be mindful of when you're gonna terminate. All right, so we're gonna look at the summer cover crop available nitrogen. So to calculate the summer cover crop available nitrogen, we use the plant available nitrogen calculator, which has been adapted and modified by many different sources. So you can find that very easily, but the pan calculator is, shows us how much of the nitrogen that's in the tissues would actually be made available for your plant. So, because there's a lot of nitrogen, if you're looking at nitrogen, it's a lot of nitrogen that you're adding to your soil that is actually in an unusable form for your plant. But this is the amount that will be usable for your plant. So what we found is that in our summer cover crops in 2018 and 2019, we found that we had a high yield because a typical recommendation for nitrogen for um, vegetables is 100 to 150 pounds per acre of nitrogen. And pe people are typically using fertilizer to get those returns. But if you're using a cover crop, as you can see here, they were able to get between 50 to 100. So um, in some cover crops, such as the sorghum Sudan, gave you 94 um, pounds of nitrogen per acre. So cover cropping is actually a very easy, very um, efficient way of adding nitrogen back to your soil. All right, so if you're looking here, this is our winter cover crops. We're looking at the soil total nitrogen. And this is the different cover crops are outlined here based off of their different color. I'm so sorry. I really think I should have made those lines um, denser so that you could see it better from the back. But as you can see here, um, we had the termination of the cover crop was day zero. And we um, looked, we tested the soil each week from day zero all the way to um, week eight. So as we see here in soil total nitrogen for year one, which was 2018, we had the peak of, um, of available total nitrogen 
around week four, which was like around week 28. And it was the same for um, 2019. Around week 28 is when we saw that there was the highest amount of nitrogen available in the soil. So then you look at the summer. It was a little different. For summer, we found that the highest amount of nitrogen that was available in the summer for um, year one was at week eight. If we look here at, um, for 2019, the highest amount was at week two, about day 14, is when we saw that you had the highest amount of nitrogen, and then it started to decline from there for most crops. All right, so many of the cover crops in the high tunnel performed very well. You can't really, that is me in the picture trying to measure <laughs> um, the cover crop because we had to cover crop, um, measure the heights at each stage. So um, our winter and rye, um, our winter rye and summer Sudan grass did very well in our high tunnel. And we found that our cow peas actually produced 25 to 50% more in the, the, our high tunnel compared to open field studies. Um, so most winter cover crops did well, but the hairy vetch just didn't do well. And it could simply be because of our region. So hairy vetch might do very well for you, depending on where you are. Um, we had a high potential available nitrogen. As I discussed, we had 50 to 100 um, percent for most of our summer, um, summer cover crops. And then we also had 50 to, um, to 100 pounds per, um, of nitrogen per, per acre for our winter cover crops. And rye produced by itself 100 pounds um, per acre. So our winter legumes, as we said, um, did not do well. Um, we were really sad about that because hairy vetch is like a great crop. You really get a lot of nitrogen return from um, hairy vetch. So we were really amped up about this. And for it to not do well was really, um, it was really sad for us. So um, timing of planting and termination is important. One of the things that we found with our winter um, legumes was that the winter legumes, when we did our winter cover crops, we planted our winter cover crops around, it was October. We planted them around October. And when we planted them in October, we got really cold weather in um, Kansas and these crops just didn't do well with it. They didn't overwinter as well. So when it came to, um, when the spring season came, they didn't really put on biomass like the other ones did. The other ones actually did well during the winter. They still held strong and they put on a lot of biomass come springtime. But we didn't have that with hairy vetch. So it might not be the best for the central states region. Okay, so termination and nitrogen returns. So timing of termination is important. We changed the timing, as I expressed, for the summer cover crops. The first year, we, we had 77 days for growing our summer cover crops. And it was great. We had all this growth, and we're like, everybody's coming over, looking at our high tunnel, like, oh, look, all this cover crop we have growing. But then now when it came down to terminating, especially since it was an experimental study where we had to make sure that all of the cover crop for each experiment stayed within its own box, it was a nightmare. Because we had um, very high um, growth of the sorghum sedan grass that it was really hard to break it down. And we also found that allowing these cover crops to grow for so long 
the stalks became lignified. They were no longer soft and easy to cut down. They were, they, it was like I was trying to cut down sugarcane. <laughs> I felt like it was, just, it was just hard to cut down. So we were like, you know, we have to switch this up for the following year. And we found that changing the amount of time that we allowed the cover crops to grow actually still gave us big returns. So timing is important, and that's something that you're able to manipul manipulate on your own. So the mature sorghum sedan grass, it was just way too lignified, and we also had problems with it pressing up against our high tunnel. We're like, we're not trying to replace poly again. We just replaced it. <laughs> so you know, we had to make some adjustments. Um, so potential early termination of summer cover crops will, is actually something that is great because you can still have a high amount of nitrogen returns. Even though you might have lower yields, you're gonna have a higher amount of nitrogen because once your stalks get lignified, they actually have less percent nitrogen still in them. So you can terminate early and still get your nitrogen returns. All right, so we also had some other um, nutrients that we were looking at. Um, in our cover crop study that I didn't add all those results here, but we looked at carbon and organic matter. And what we were surprised about is we saw significant changes in the soil carbon and organic matter within two years of our cover cropping study, even within the first year of cover crop, doing our cover cropping study. Now that is unlike anything that you see in the open field. Generally in the open field, you have to, um, they say cover cropping has long-term effects, you know, three to four years down the line, you're gonna see that your soil has more carbon and organic matter composition. But we saw that within the first year and within the second year, and it looked like it was a cumulative effect come the second year. So we're, we're finding that that could possibly be, be because of the microclimate that is created within the high tunnel. With that microclimate, it's actually adding, it's concentrating the heat inside the tunnel you're able, since there's plastic around, you're able to conserve a little bit more of that soil moisture. It's creating an environment that it's breaking down your cover crop quicker than in the open field because it's concentrated in this closed system. So we found that you're able to get faster results in actually improving your soil health if you do cover cropping within your tunnels. All right, so here is actually um, a picture and some data from a study that was conducted in North Carolina State University where they did a study where they were um, growing rye and vetch and they grew them together within a high tunnel and they grew it also in the open field. As you can see here in the high tunnel, the amount of rye that they got was 3,749 pounds per acre and the amount of vetch they had was 329 pounds per acre. But if you look at these numbers and compare it to the open field where for rye they only had 721 pounds and for the vetch they did get more, as I told you, vetch just does not do well <laughs> sometimes in high tunnels. They did get more, but we see the available nitrogen differences are big. You know, the amount of nitrogen that was now available in the high tunnel was significantly higher than the amount that you would have gotten from just doing cover crops in the open field. All right, so fertilizing with cover crops, um, that is an important thing. When it comes to fertilizing with cover crops, as I said, there's a calculator that can be used. Generally, when you're looking at your young tissues, your young tissues have 3.5 to 4% nitrogen within their stalks. And then um, when they're at the flowering stage, you have 3 to 3.5%. So you kind of want to terminate your cover crop before it gets 
to the flowering stage as much as possible. And that's the same for your grass species because then it just loses the nitrogen because they're putting that nitrogen into flowering and they're using it for work and it's no longer available for you when you want to go ahead and use it for um, adding it back to the soil. So this is the calculator that I was talking about that for those who are interested, I have a book up here where you can write down your name and email and I can give you the calculator for you to use it on your own, on your field. All right, so which cover crops to grow? So it all depends on your growing region, where you are, on which cover crops may be the best for you to use. Um, we found that in Kansas, you could do cover crops in each season. Um, one season that didn't do very well, which we had to nix it from our study, was doing the winter killed season. So winter killed is like you grow it quickly, um, right before winter time, that you cut it down right when winter comes. And we just found like you had like this much growth. So it just, <laughs> it, it didn't work out very well. So, um, but if you're in a warmer climate, you could pretty much do cover crops all year round if you find the right hardy um, crops to grow. And so which cover crops have you guys been familiar with using, those who have done cover cropping? Revive that. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Sun hemp, yes, that's a good one. What, and you said you did cover crops, right? With clover, yes, clover is a great cup. Yes, yes. So one of one tool that I did want to share with you guys is that you could always go to Cornell University. They have a tool that can help you figure out which cover crop to use on your field. So if you go to Cornell University Extension. Um, they have like a cover crop tool that can help you find um, which cover crop you can use based off of what your um, needs are in your soil. Like if you're just like, you know, my soil is just, it's a hard pan or my soil is just not, it doesn't have good infiltration, they can come up and they have like this tool that helps you figure out which cover crop you should try using. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so if you, let me give this out, yeah, for those who would like to write their name and email. All right, so planning for cover crops, as I said, it's important for you to keep in mind that this is a cycle. Like if you're wanting to use your cover crop um, for, for the use of it returning um, nitrogen back to your soil rather than just using it as a mulch that you're just laying on top, you wanna be mindful of the time that it takes for, the, um, for it to actually be mineralized or for the nutrients now to be released. As we showed with our winter and summer cover crops, they had two different times where the nutrients were the highest. And when the nutrients is the highest is where you would want to transplant your cash crop is when it's right at that high peak or at least right before that high peak because then that's when your crop is gonna need it the most is when it's in its early stages of growth. So you don't wanna wait until now your, thing, your cover crops are completely broken down and now the available nitrogen is now lost because it's been immobilized. All right, so soil nutrient release. So nutrient release appeared to take place in our study at day 28 for the winter cover crops. And we're finding that that's typical for actually some other studies as well, that day 28 for winter cover crops is usually when your um, nitrogen is made most available. And then we found in our summer treatments that um, at day 14, which was two weeks at least in a high tunnel, after two weeks is when um, your nutrients were the highest where you can go ahead and um, 
plant your cash crop so that your cash crop can absorb and take those nutrients. So in typical studies, um, growers typically um, plant their cash crops four to six weeks after they've, finished, after they've um, incorporated their cover crop. Yes. We actually incorporated it in, and I should actually share a little bit more of what those methods looked like. So we would terminate our cover crop, and then we installed sprinkler irrigation inside of our um, high tunnel. So we would irrigate it well, and then we would till it in. And then after we would till it in, we would um, take our samples every week to see what the nitrogen was looking like each week. And that's how we were able to find out this information. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so keeping in mind your timing is important because in your high tunnel, things are happening rapidly because of the microclimate that's in there. So if you wait too late for your summer cover crops, you kind of miss the opportunity to be able to get the nitrogen from, that, from those cover crops. So now practical planning for cover cropping. Um, you want to um, figure out a farm plan. I know every year before farmers get out, they kind of um, make a plan. And if you want to make a plan when it comes to cover crops, it can look similar to this, where if you're doing your warm season vegetables, you do a winter cover crop, and then you do a cash, um, then after the winter cover crop is finished, you do your um, cash crop, and then you go back to winter cover crop. And this is just like an example of what that, that can look like for you. And it depends on what you want your crops to be, at least your cash crops. So then you figure out your winter cover crops based off of your hardiness zone and what you're actually wanting for your soil. So this is also another example of what someone who was very interested in using cover crops in rotations with their actual cash crops. So as you can see here, they have clover that was growing between January and April, and then they grew some beans from May to September, and then they started vetch you know, from July to April. So things like this, if you continue to have a cycle with your cover crops, you're always adding nutrients back to your soil. You're always building up that soil, and you're doing it in a way that's less, um, has less um, cons to um, what can actually happen with your soil because there's a lot of buffering that can happen with this. So challenges of cover crops. Um, managing cover crop biomass, as I said, is very, very difficult and can be stressful, especially since you're managing it in a smaller space. If you're doing it in a high tunnel, it's a smaller space. It's not like an open field where you can always just get on the tractor and you know mow it down. So if you're in a small, um, if you're working in a small high tunnel, generally you're going to be using like a walk-behind tractor to do so. Or you know, if you want to cut it down yourself with hand shears, we did some. We had to do a lot of that because we were working with small experimental units. Um, and then, so just also thinking about the equipment that you're going to use, whether you're using your cover crops in the high tunnel or in the open field. And then you have to think of disease and press pre um, pest pressure. So um, a lot of times if you're growing your um, cover crops in um, not the best con conditions, you can see that there's some disease and pest pressure that could happen. So and then another thing to remember is regrowth. So you were happy when you saw your cover crops grow and you, know, you probably did a little dance. But what could happen is that if you don't make sure that your cover crops stop growing before coming to seed, you can have those cover crops keep growing, <laughs> you know, keep coming up right when you're trying to grow your cash crops. And they're going to compete for the nitrogen in the soil. Um, and then you're going to have this competition issue. You definitely don't want to um, get that when it comes to Japanese millet 
we kept seeing Japanese millet just popping up everywhere. <laughs> you know, we were going crazy because we we're just like, this is not supposed to even be in this plot. You know, so you want to make sure your cover crops don't go to seed. Same for sorghum sedan grass. It will just keep on coming if you, um, if you terminate it too late. So as you see here, we had a, um, we had a method of making sure that we would grow our cover crops in our high tunnel and sometimes we would just take all the plastic off of our tunnel so it can so we don't have to do the whole irrigation business we'll just let the rain you know um, hit it so we we were very active at, on our farm with putting plastic on and taking plastic off it was not fun at all <laughs> but you know our farmers like let's just take the plastic off today we're like no <laughs> but you know doing things like that also help with making sure that that environment under the tunnel is not so um that the environment in the tunnel does still mirror a little bit what is happening in the open field so that you can reduce the amount of salinization and things that happen inside the tunnel. Yeah, so salinization is a big deal, especially if you're using fertilizers. And if you're using um, certain composts, um, especially if you're not making the compost yourself, you have to be mindful that um, some of the products that can be put in the compost can actually have high amount of salts in it. So then now you can be building up salts inside your um, tunnel. So you wanna just be mindful of allowing that, you're allowing your tunnel to be able to have the right amount of nutrients and not have too much either. So one thing that we find is a benefit of cover crops is that you're getting a large amount of nutrients, but you're getting it in a way where it still has some of the other elements where there's a lot of buffering that happens where it's not gonna go ahead and burn your soils. All right, so then as you see here, this is just more images of growing a cover crop in the high tunnel, and they had just little sprinkler, sprinkler heads here until they um, decided to change it and actually do overhead sprinklers. I'm cutting down some cover crops. So you can get really creative with how you cut down your cover crop depending on what size your tunnel is. So he was just using like um, a weed whacker and just cutting it down and then he would go back with a um, walk behind tractor to till it in. So here you go here, that's a BCS, one of our favorites um, as a walk behind tractor. So some of the take homes that we have for this is that your soil and water um, are most valuable resources on your farm. So you want to make sure you're taking care of these things and you wanna make sure you're conserving them. So um, adding mulch can be a, a perfect way to help with adding, um, to, for helping improve your soil as well as conserving your moisture that's on your farm. And you also want to protect your soil and feed your soil. And you know, while a high tunnel is a great asset on your farm, you have to make sure that when you're using your high tunnel that you're using it in a way where you're also um, protecting your piece of real estate that you have there. So you have to remember, yes, the, the um, high tunnel structure is your real estate, but that soil, that soil is what does all the work, really. So you have to protect it as much as possible. So use cover crops, make a plan that works. You're not always gonna get everything that you want out of um, cover cropping. At least you might think, I'm gonna get all oh, 150 pounds this year. You probably won't, <laughs> and that's fine. Um, but you just have to be realistic in knowing that I'm gonna cover a crop now, and then I'm gonna um, grow my cash crop, and afterward I'm gonna do cover crops again. And in your tunnel, you'll see cumulative effects, and your tunnel just having better soil quality. 
So, um, and you also want to make sure that you keep your rotations, you switch your rotations. So you don't always want to grow the same cash crop inside your tunnel, you know, so you could do a cover crop, do a cash crop that's maybe peppers next time, do tomatoes, you know, switch it up. It also helps with creating a better biome in your soil. All right, so that is it. If there are any questions, I'm welcome to take them. All right, so starting here. Oh, I had a question back toward the middle or beginning of your presentation. Yeah. You mentioned, well, my question is, why would the total available nitrogen peak um, in the summer of 2019? One of them peaked in week two. Yeah, yeah, and then one peaked week eight. So yeah, that was a big difference. And the reason why is because we waited with the summer cover crops for the first year, we didn't terminate them until 77 days after growth. So after 77 days of growth, we had very lignified stalks. Mm -hmm. It took a long time for that to break down and for those nutrients to be released. That's why we found that it wasn't until week eight that the nitrogen was available. Yeah. And what was the level at peak eight compared to the level at so, peak So they were still within the same range. I can actually show you that. Let me see. So as you see here, so the level within week eight, and we, we used it in like um, percentage wise, so they're still within the same range between the 0.2 all the way to 0.225. And you see here, we have it between 0.21 to 0.235. So it was within the same range. Um, and so there really wasn't any benefit of growing it that long. Any other questions? Did you look at the, um, the soil um, microbe levels? Oh. Did, did those improve with the, with the cover crop? So, okay, so we really wanted to look at all facets of the microbiome. I was, you know, when we got this study, um, the grant to do this study, I was like, oh, can we apply for another grant? Because I would love to see what the ecosystem looks like in here. And um, so we started writing out what we wanted to do and we realized that we would need a lot more people to do all of these things. So we reduced it to just looking at what the arthropods were within the soil. So we didn't get to do bacterial studies. It was just gonna cost too much. So we were gonna, we wanted to do bacterial and fungal studies to see what the species were that, were, that existed during that time in the tunnel. Um, but then we realized too, it wasn't gonna be as fruitful unless we were comparing it to what's actually happening in the outdoor, in the open field, to actually make a comparison. Because we could say, oh, we found all these bacteria here, but then how useful is it if we're like, okay, but we don't know what's in there because it's just so expensive to do those type of studies. Yeah, so actually how that related to our crop growth. So after two weeks is where we put in our cash crops. And for the summer cash crop, we actually had, it was, um, it was spinach because we terminated our summer cash crop in like September, August, and we grew spinach. Um, our spinach did better in the year that we terminated earlier. The, the year that we terminated later, it was just hard because um, even with us doing all of the cutting it down and tilling, there was just these big clumpy pieces of lignified stalks, which really crowded out the spinach from being able to grow because you know we were like, well, maybe we can try transplanting spinach, but nobody wants to transplant spinach. Just like, are you crazy? <laughs> you know, so you, you know, we, we pretty much were like, no, we're gonna have to just seed the um, spinach and see how it does. And we saw that the second year when we terminated earlier, we actually had a good spinach yields.
Yeah, cover crops are great even in no-till systems. So, um, for example, you're talking about like using it in the open field or high tunnel? Either one, yeah, either way, it works well. Um, granted, you do reduce the benefit of having it as a source of, a high source of available nitrogen if you just allow it to be a, more so in a no-till kind of setting because you're just allowing it to lay on the top surface. But it's great for still reducing weeds and it's still gonna add organic matter to your soil. So it's still a great option. No, you, no, you right there. Yeah, you, <laughs> he'll come back. Have you ever experimented, I've been growing cover and I'll get up this tall and I'll take them down to that tall and I'll plant right in them. Have you ever done any experiments with that? No, I have not done any experiments with that. So the cover crop was still growing. It's still growing. It's still growing. You would just and plant spread. I just pack a hole and plant a tomato. Oh, wow. No, I have not done that. I would think there would be some sort of, there would be a, some com competition though for space and for nutrients with doing that. Um, so it's not something that I would probably do, but maybe it's something. That, that's good. <laughs> that's good. You have good soil. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've read in one place that it's easier to till in the cover crop if you don't cut it first. Is that not your experience or is it the opposite? Is it kind of like you all cut the cover crop and then till Um. I'm not sure with that. It really, that sounds very subjective, really. Um, I know on our fields, we did cover crops in open field and high tunnel. And when we were doing it in the open field, we were using a flail mower. So it was really easy, of course. We didn't have to cut down the cover crop first until it, we just got on the tractor and just, you know, mowed it down. Um, but I think, I think it's really just subjective. I know for us, working in a high tunnel, you know, we're using a small walk behind tractor and we just found it easier to just cut it and then, yeah, so. Um, with your, your crops that got going, your seeding, did you um, figure out any tricks for killing off that um, so that you could get things quick popping back up? Well, um, our biggest thing was don't do that again next time. <laughs> And then um, we realized, well, there were some things that we just weren't going to do. Um, our high tunnel was organically managed, and we wanted to make sure that we weren't using any random things out in our field um, and we, for the sake of the integrity of the study. So there was not much that we could do other than just make sure that it doesn't go to seed again and, or make sure that you are properly mulching with, like we would use the plastic mulch, to really help reduce the, the likelihood of the weeds being able to get enough light to come up. Well, the cover crop come up again, which is a weed at that point. Yeah. Kind of with the no-till method, have you guys ever experimented with like stylish tarps covering it and letting it hang out there for a while and then mixing it in and doing toe that way? Mm-mm, no, haven't done that. That sounds interesting though. <laughs> Yeah, so that's what we would do when we were in the open field. We would just crimp it, and a lot of times we would grow our melons right into it, grow our sweet potatoes right into it. Um, but in the um, high tunnel I was managing, just because the width of it, we weren't really able to get that tunnel with the implement on there, in there. Uh, was there a lot of heat, uh, the heat in the greenhouse? Was that causing nitrogen loss after you cut down and fill in? Uh, no. So if anything, I would say the heat that was in the high tunnel was actually promoting mineralization. So it was promoting the um, nutrients to be released. 
but you know once the nutrients are released they have to be taken up or they're going to become immobilized so you know that it really does take some good planning if you want to get the full benefits but even if you don't plan it to a t like that you can still get great benefits from doing a cover crop rotation in your tunnel yes what are the best termination um ideas that you guys have had like for example in, if you did a no-tell situation where you were filling it in you have in your experience or On a, yeah. So for us, um, it was simply just using a walk behind tractor. That was that was pretty much all we could do. Um, and for some of our plots, we had to actually just cut it down with hand shears ourselves to try to keep it within its experimental unit. But if you're doing it in your high tunnel and you're, of course, you're not trying to do an experiment. Oh, some people might be trying to do their own experiment. And so you're not really caring about where the cover crop lands. You know, just using any kind of walk behind tractor, it works fine. And if you don't have a tractor, um, you can cut it down yourself or, and figure out other methods. But it's not, it's not, it's not anything to, to stress about. Yeah, so we did have a small crimper that we would use for some of our other high tunnels where we weren't managing, like doing multiple experiments in that one tunnel. Because, for example, we had another tunnel where we were simply just growing hairy vetch and we would have a small crimper on the walk behind. So, yeah, so you could do that too. So did you look at anything So yeah, so we did not do um, salts. However, we did look at the infiltration rate within the high tunnel from doing cover cropping, and we found that your soil was more had more um, pore, better pore structure after using cover crops. So when we would water, it's like the water would be able to um, go quickly through the um, experimental device that we were using to um, measure the infiltration but we weren't able to measure salts as well it's it gets crazy because we were working in a 200 foot high tunnel where there was 30 there was eight thank you there were eight treatments per season and then we were doing uh, four replications so we had you know 32 bags that were sitting sending to soil soil testing every week and we just had to reduce what we were testing for because it was, it was quite a couple of thousand dollars many thousand dollars for us to do this study so yes <laughs> so we do have a picture of a crimper so crimper is pretty much an implement that you can have here it is on your um on your tractor which is perfect for like just mowing something down to yeah we did. We had one for a two-wheel tractor. Yeah, for the BCS. If you're able to, no, you don't have to. We had to cut it down because we were trying to keep it within a small space. Um, we weren't. We were trying to make sure the cowpea stayed in the cowpea spot and didn't get into the buckwheat spot. But if you're doing it like you're pulling, filling your whole tunnel with the cover crop, you could just use the crimper throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Right in the crimp, would you do your ripped or you just set the plants in there or what? 
So we set the plants in there by hand. Because the, some of the, so that was a whole nother research study from one of my friends, Joseph. And yeah, so there was a certain amount of sweet potatoes he was using for his study. Yeah. You didn't have, like the melon patch, you didn't have trouble with more, the, uh, all that cover breeding insects that attacked the melon. Um, no, we didn't have that. We made sure that the transplants that we put inside the, um, once we transplanted them, we made sure that they were, um, pretty mature, like ready to get into the soil. And we, um, I think also there was some side dressing that they used for adding some more nitrogen to it. So the more healthy your soil or the more nutrients you have in your soil is it better able to fight some of these different pathogens. So we didn't have much of those issues, um, so. Yeah. Mm hmm That's a really good idea. You say some of this after the the uh, crop the, the cover crop is decayed in the soil, you have a certain amount of time till the the nutrients get released and then then they get tied up so the plant can't use it. Yeah, that's that's specifically with nitrogen. Your nitrogen could get tied up. So then it would be in an unusable form for the plant to actually use it. Um, however, you still do have some other nutrients and some other properties you're getting from the cover crop, such as carbon and organic matter to help your soil. So that's why when you're planting your cover crop, you want to plan based on when you're going to put your cash crop. So for example, before you start your cover crop, you might want to say, okay, maybe I need to start seeding my cash crop now and have your seeds, um, have your, um, plants growing so that you can easily transplant them by time of terminating, um, like two weeks after terminating or so. Just because I'm in Minnesota mm -hmm. and I grow garlic, mm -hmm. so if I have a cover crop and I mow it down in uh, October, then I've got to till it up and raise my beds and put my garlic in in October and then the ground freezes and it's, mm -hmm. I don't get anything coming up until April. Yeah. So it really depends on the crop. Um, yeah, the cover crop. It depends on the cover crop. Um, so you're saying like you're planting your garlic when? In October. You're planting it in October. Later, later October. Yeah, yeah. I would say you would lose some of it. Um, what I would do is. I would look into, of course, doing a summer cover crop where you could grow it probably later summer and terminate it, like say if you're terminating, terminating it come September or like early October. Yeah, so. That's true, that's true. We could talk more about that afterward though, yeah, that sounds good. Uh, what causes the nitrogen to play mobilized and can you reverse that? 
So what happens in the soil that causes nitrogen immobilization is simply when it comes to, there's a couple of things. So when it comes to your soil, you have a, a certain amount of carbon nitrogen that your bacteria need to help to actually break down um, to make these nutrients release. So for example, if you have a low amount of carbon to the amount of nitrogen that you have, they're, they're gonna hold on to that nitrogen until they can get the carbon to actually make it released. Um, and then you also want to think about how um, in your soil, you're, you have a lot of different processes that are taking place where the um, nitrogen will switch between different forms, nitrate, nitrite, and the nitrate is what is actually available for plant growth. Um, so it's, it's like you're trying to do a, a, a balance effect. Now, not everything is perfect. You know, it's not that if you didn't get your um, cash crop in as soon as the um, soil had the highest amount of nitrogen, your cash crop's not gonna grow. It doesn't mean that. You can still get great growth. You can still get some benefits. You're just not gonna get the most opti the, uh, all the benefits you could have gotten, which there still are other methods where you could use, say, if you wanna put some compost in, side dress it a little bit, things like that to help out. And you know, still, um, even with the amount of nitrogen that you get from cover crops, um, sometimes you still do want to add a little bit, ex some little extra things because, for example, if you're going to be trying to grow for market, you want to have a very qual high quality um, product, especially if you're growing for somewhere like Whole Foods or so. You need a very high quality product and the, having the soil that's really healthy really helps with making sure that it reduces the amount of blemishes and different things that it's going to have. So. A crimper versus a mulching mower, I wouldn't know what would be that. If it, I, I look at them as very similar. <laughs> I wouldn't know what would actually be the added benefit. So I, I'm sorry, I just saw yesterday this picture you said the mowing. Yeah. The crimper behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other way around. Yeah, yeah. So, what's your, yeah. Yeah, so I wouldn't know. I think it really depends on your crop and, or did you have something to answer him? Yeah. I think probably the main difference would be that the um, mowing is going to break it into smaller pieces. Mm -hmm. so That's true. So if you want a longer term residue, you want to roll or crimp it. If you mm -hmm. want it to break down fast, you want to mow it. Makes sense, yeah. He, he put that together perfect. <laughs> yeah, so how long does it take for weeds to come back when you planted your melons? What, how long did it take for the weeds to come back when we planted our melons? Um, I would need to ask the person who was doing that research study because I was managing a different tunnel, yeah. but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I could get back to you. Anybody else? Any other questions? Well, thank you so much. I think we went over time a little bit. Um, but yes, if you have any other questions, feel free to see me here on campus at Adiagra. All right, thank you so much. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.